Welcome to On the Road with Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from the Idle Chatter family of podcasts. I invite you to jump in and join me. Along the way, we will get to know some really interesting people and their stories. Be it farming or firing orders, these folks are passionate about growing things or making horsepower. So let's get this bad boy fired up and head off to destinations unknown. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to On the Road. I'm your host, as you know, that guy from Cat Swamp Road in Warren County, New Jersey. And this is an, this, I'm really, truly excited about having our guests on the road today because I've ridden by this beautiful farm for more years than I care to admit, and I really didn't know anything about it, only from what I could see from the road. But this couple is so passionate about agriculture, and believe it or not, they're first-generation farmers. You wouldn't think so, but they are. And they're passionate about agriculture, they're passionate about the land, they're passionate about the Lord, and they're, they're just, it's, it's gonna be so exciting to get to learn more about this family and their beautiful, beautiful operation. And it's quite large, and you have to realize that they're located in Chester, New Jersey. And I know there's people all around the world, all around the country listening. Well, Chester, New Jersey is not that far from New York City, and you would never think that a farm of this magnitude and of this quality would be so close to New York City. It's probably about 50 miles, 45, 50 miles from New York City, from the George Washington Bridge, which connects New Jersey over the Hudson River into Manhattan. But listen, you don't want to hear me. You want to hear about this family. And we are at the Allstead Farm in Chester, New Jersey, and it is owned by Kurt and Mary Allstead. So, Kurt, welcome to On the Road. Well, it's great to be here, Ray, and we're so glad to have you visiting today. It's a beautiful, sunny day in February, and we're getting a lot of work done and glad to carve out a little bit of time to share our story with you and our and your listeners. Well, thank you so much. And Mary, you're such an integral part of this. Please say hello to my audience. Well, hi, everybody, and thank you so much for having us on, Ray. We're really excited about the opportunity to share our story. Well, the blessing is mine because you have such a wonderful story and I want it at the story of passion. So Kurt, please turn the, let's turn the calendar back. Let's, I mean, you had told me off the air that it started with your grandfather in Germany. So let's, let's hear about how you got to today with this farm. Yeah, well, I, I think that, you know, part of the remarkable a remarkable component of our story is that it's the typical quintessential American immigrant uh, dream story. Uh, my grandfather uh, came over from Germany following World War I. Uh, uh, the, the devastation there and the inflation that ensued uh, left the, the family farm pretty destitute, and my grandfather was looking for opportunity, which uh, he knew could only be found in America. So he, uh, uh, through a, a lot of ingenuity and some conniving, uh, and cleverness was able to secure a visa to uh, get to the USA. Came over on the on the Bremen, the SS Bremen, and uh, was sponsored by a family in Carlstadt, uh, okay. New Jersey. Came you know through Ellis Island, uh, like so many did back at that time. And uh, my grandfather never left New Jersey. So the the reason that uh, I'm a born and bred uh, New Jersey boy is uh, because this is where my grandfather uh, landed and and stayed. Um, he ultimately uh, secured employment working for a creamery in Elmwood Park, New Jersey, uh, which isn't too far from uh, New York City. And because of his 
farming background, especially that with horses and uh, blacksmithing and wagons. They put him in charge of the horses and the tack and the wagons for picking up and delivering milk. And uh, then over time, they transitioned into Model T's and appropriate given the uh, nature of some of your programming. Right. And, uh, and uh, that's how he launched into the automotive business. They converted the Model T's for, and replaced the horses with Model T's. And, uh, and he broke into the automotive business being in charge of the fleet of Model T's that picked up and delivered milk from this creamery in uh, Elmwood Park every day. So he was the original hot rod farmer. He got there. <laughs> Not me, right? You're, you're right. And you know, and if you've ever driven Model T, and we have a Model T, a depot hack, as a matter of fact, in 1927, and uh, it's three pedals, right? right? And so you need to know how to handle yourself, yeah. and there's no accelerator pedal. It's a hand, uh, hand throttle right. and uh, reverse and spark pedal. Advance too. And spark. a spark advance on the left side. Yeah, and we yeah. take that out for parades, but you know, we diverge. But a little bit of my grandfather remembered and that Model T depot hack that we keep here on the farm. Um, so you fast forward my grandpa's history and... Uh, I'm he, just going to interrupt you for a second. Sure. Is that, what was your grandfather's first name? Herman. 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 Now, did he meet your mother in Germany or did he meet her in New Jersey? Well, my grandmother, uh, who, was, who was Czech... Um, oh, she, so they met here, uh, stateside. So my uh, grandma, my paternal grandmother's uh, parents came from uh, Czech. Okay. Well, well, then it was Austria-Hungary, right? And their last name was Durkovic, okay. and uh, and so they were in uh, in Garfield, New Jersey. And my great grandmother had a dry goods store. And, uh, and that's how they made their living. And somehow, uh, you know, grandpa met grandma and they became uh, husband and wife uh, right. in 19, uh, 1938. Wow. Um, so just before that, my, my grandfather got injured um, closing doors on the third floor of the creamery during a snowstorm, I'm told. And the ladder slipped on the ice and he went down, crushed his wrist and his palm of his hand. And uh, that had to get healed up and... Um, over time, uh, he wasn't able to work while it was getting healed. He came back, and uh, they didn't have his position anymore, and uh, he aspired for something more. So as a result, uh, he decided to start his own service station, and he uh, borrowed $2,000 from my grandmother and her family. Uh, the family story is she cried, so she was so alarmed. She thought the money was gone forever, and you yeah. remember this is you know during the uh, Depression. Right. So $2,000 in 19, you know, this would have been 1937, uh, was a huge amount of money. And uh, he started a service, a Sunoco service station in Clifton, New Jersey, which is uh, not too far from New York City. And in a week's time, uh, history tells us that uh, he paid back the, uh, the money to my grandmother and her family and, uh, and found success in the uh, automotive repair business and gasoline business for 70 years. Wow. My, my, my dad came along in 1940. And uh, they eventually bought property a block down. They started on Main Street Clifton, then moved down a block to Getty Avenue. And, uh, and they were there until 2007. And that's where I cut my teeth uh, in the repair business, uh, pumping gas, you know, back in the old days when you would wash windows and check oil and being a cute kid. Uh, Did you wear uh, a bow tie? They used to no, wear no bow ties, but I was always in uniform and, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed kid, you know, I was pretty cute back then. And, uh, 
and acquired a lot of tips. Oh, and, already know, there. Yeah, yeah well, a, the ladies would come in and see you. Yeah, huh? our, That's what it was. I mean, I think our youngest, uh, our only son, he's got the deal too because he knows when it's Christmas tree season, he really wants to work out at the store selling trees, and he uh, brings in a lot of tips too. It's that right. blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid, yeah, you right. know. Um, so, so I, I cut my teeth, uh, you know, pumping gas and doing repairs. And uh, my dad was in the Marine Corps. And uh, I, we, uh, when my parents first got married, and my mom was from Ridgewood in uh, Bergen County. My dad, you know, my grandparents and dad lived in Fairlawn. My dad was an only child, born in 1940. And uh, so, when my parents got married, they they landed in Parsippany, in Parsippany New Jersey. Yeah. Parsippany, so they, Mars they County. started to head west, away from New York City. That, that's right. So that was the progression west, and. Uh, and uh, we were there until 1977, and then uh, moved to Chester. And parents were looking for a little bit more land, a little bit more space. Uh, wanted to get maybe a horse or two, and and that really appealed to all of us. Uh, I have uh, two other brothers, so we were a family of uh, five total, three boys, and uh, parents. And uh, so we moved out to Chester, and I started here in uh, eighth grade, okay. and uh, certainly a much more rural area, and. Uh, and, uh, you know, but still, as you mentioned in the opening, uh, just uh, 45 minutes to an hour from New York City, which is pretty remarkable. It is. And, you know, and to the audience is that New Jersey in this section, Morris County, Morris County, Huntington, Sussex County, uh, as you moved away from New York City, were like little hamlets. You would never think back years ago when we were kids, right? You could have been in Iowa or Nebraska. It made no difference. Uh, the, That's how rural it was. The, the stories I hear from old timers, uh, you know, bootleg being made up in the hills oh, here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Drag racing down Main Street. I mean, it was rural when I was a kid, and you can imagine 30, 40 years prior right, to me just how rural this area was, you know, during the Second World War. Um, you know, this area was was a big iron mining area uh, through the Civil War, and we have a war memorial in town. And what's remarkable is we have all the veterans listed that uh, uh, were you know gave their lives for for America uh, for America, and the the number of uh, men who lost their lives are boys in the Civil War from Chester is remarkable. Really, there were more lives lost from Chester in the Civil War than all the other wars combined. And you think about the little farm town that this was, right? The little farm and mining town that this was during the Civil War. And I believe there's 22 lives that were lost from this town during the Civil War. So you think about the impact that had on the lives of those families in this little teeny tiny town, mm -hmm. right? And, and how far reaching the impacts of the Civil War, the Civil War were uh, throughout this country, right? Where this teeny tiny little town in New Jersey lost 22 young men right during that uh, that war terrible um, yes uh, but uh, back to farming in this little old town so uh, so moved here and it was 1977 and uh, uh, you know did not have any expectation of farming at that time. Uh, I, my dad, as I mentioned, was in the Marine Corps and had made a very successful career in uh, the service station. And uh, my grandpa was alive. I grew up working there with them. Loved it. I'm the oldest in the family, and uh, I'd certainly expected that my life uh, uh, pathway was going to uh, lead me to be in the repair business. I was a good mechanic, learning from my dad, who was a, a master mechanic. And I figured I'd go into the military. Uh, figured I would uh, get a commission, uh, go to one of the service academies, whether it was the Air Force or Annapolis, was never really thinking West Point. Uh, and uh, so that was sort of my my plan. If you were to look at my eighth grade yearbook, uh, you would see there was a whole lot of uh, writing in there about uh, my aspirations to, to be in the military. And, uh, and then somehow uh, my sophomore year, 
uh, in high school, uh, Westmar Central High School here in Chester, New Jersey. Um, uh, I had uh, an epiphany one evening and uh, watching an episode of, um, oh my gosh, uh, Family. It was called Family, Christy McNichol. And uh, they were dealing with uh, the family farm and this, uh, what was going to happen when the grandparents passed away. And, uh, and <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so it was that moment in time when I realized I was supposed to enter agriculture. And I, I knew it. <coughs> Part of me, as clear as I can see you, Ray, uh, I knew uh, that I was supposed to enter agriculture. And you so that and when you used the word epiphany, you weren't just using it as a figure of speech. You feel that the Lord spoke to your heart to put you in to take a path in agriculture. There's no question, and uh, it was so clear to me, and so evident. So then I rationalized. All right, well, if I'm going to make this jump, so to speak, as a young man, you know, I better make sure that it's uh, real. You know, we often talk uh, in faith, uh, you know, about putting out a fleece, right? In right. a biblical story. Wet fleece, dry fleece. Right, My exactly. life story. So, <laughs> so I thought, all right, well, I better check this out. Let me make sure that this is really what I'm supposed to be doing and it's not some foolish notion or, uh, or some other nonsense. So my, my maternal grandparents, we didn't speak much about my maternal grandparents, yeah. but my, my maternal grandfather worked for a mobile oil company and was in charge of the wick division. They made wicks for for gas-fired lamps, if you wow. can imagine. And my grandfather worked in New York City, living in Ridgewood, New Jersey, commuting in every day uh, to run the WIC division, right? And, 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 a, and a fun story, again, automotive-related. So he would drive in every day from Ridgewood with three other men that worked for Mobile Oil Company. And they owned a car together. The four of these guys owned a car together and carpooled together uh, to drive into New York. Do you know and what the, kind of car it was? I had to ask yeah, you Yeah, it, it was a Chevrolet Caprice. Okay, right? and you got, G, uh, what is, and and you got a, GMs outside, right? We're, we're a GM family. Yeah, okay, yeah. all right. <laughs> all right, end the show. I'm a Ford guy. Let's close it right now. All right, very nice. Nice meeting you. <laughs> well, we do have Ford tractors, but, okay. uh, but it's but it's an all GM That's fleet right. As long as it's American, yes. I guess, yeah. Yeah, well, even a GM is sort of made all over the I place know. now, well, right? Not back then, um, though. But yeah, it was either a Caprice or Impalas. They would okay. you know, change uh, depending on what the model looked like. But could you imagine the stability in their lives that they would buy a car together, right? Four people knowing that they weren't going to be, uh, they weren't going to be transferred. They weren't going to move. They weren't, there, there was going to be, there was so much stability in having a career back in the 60s and 70s yes. that these four guys would buy a car together to carpool to work for a mobile oil company. And every week they would just rotate the car, right? And my grandfather would have it for one week and then for three other weeks it would be someplace else and they would take turns driving. So at any rate, my grandfather worked for uh, mobile. And interestingly, they used the wicks to lubricate rail car bearings also. Wow. And that was a big part of where the market was, which is why mobile was making wicks because their oils were then being used to lubricate the rail bearings on the, on the car truck assembly. So they would pack this the wicking in there. Yeah. Um, so, um, but my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, had an affinity for antiques. And, uh, and so they had a little antique shop up in Vermont. And every summer they would run this antique shop, which was located on Route 2 in Plainfield, Vermont, right outside of Montpelier. And uh, so they would uh, 
go up there and they, uh, they, they had a, a place where they stayed uh, with good friends of theirs and they would run this little antique shop. Well, next door was a dairy farm and this dairy farm was owned by Carrie and Sandy Smith in Plainfield, Vermont. And, and Carrie uh, was an educated guy and he, he's still alive. And he, he, was the, um, um, he, he was the academic dean at Goddard College, which was this uh, little private um, liberal arts school located in Plainfield, Vermont, which is no longer uh, in business, the school. And so he was working by day at the school, at the at the college, and then by night milking cows, had a registered Holstein Holsteins, herd. Holsteins, okay. Of course. And, you know, 70 cows, which was sort of a big herd for the 70s. Right. And um, so I, I called up and I said, hey, you know, because we'd spent, you know, summers, every summer we went to Vermont, see grandma and grandpa, would spend a few days on the farm, enjoyed uh, poking around there. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, they're the farmers I know. I should go up there and work and see if this is what I really want to do. So this was after the epiphany. This is that. This was my follow. This was my fleece following okay, the fleece. epiphany. Yes. Right? Okay. So I called up and I said, "Hey, you know, I'm thinking about entering agriculture as a career. Can I come up and work for you? I want to see if this is what I really want to do." And and they said, "Sure. You know, uh, cheap labor. Yeah, yeah. come on <laughs> hey, up. Right. <laughs> what dairy, almost like a son. <laughs> what dairy farmer doesn't want cheap labor? And they only and they didn't have uh, any sons. They only they had two girls who were hard workers." Uh, Karen and, and Candace, who were still uh, living up there. So uh, so I went up there and spent the summer milking cows, uh, uh, making hay. They had Alice Chalmers tractors, okay. and uh, they had one big old Oliver, an 1865 diesel. Wow, and, a diesel. And, yeah, and a D17 Alice Chalmers with a loader on it that they finally replaced with a case. But uh, And I had a ball, right? That now, was a tricycle, wasn't it? The, the, the D17, uh, yeah, it was a tricycle. Yeah, with the loader. That was at the uh, Widowmaker. Yeah, and then they had a 190, Al Chalmers 190, and then they also had a, a 170, um, both diesels. So, but I had a ball, right? I was uh, mowing hay, you know, raking hay, bailing, throw, you know, milking the cows. I mean, you, you name it, I did it, you know, working crazy hours and, uh, uh, and just having a ball. And, you know, my, my grandfather, uh, uh, you know, was of course right down the road, and you know he encouraged me to drive illegally on back roads of in course. Vermont so that I could get a more experienced driving because I didn't have my driver's license yet. So, so I did my first driving on public roads without a license in Vermont. I think every farm kid did that. <laughs> and then, and then eventually, Carrie and Sandy got familiar with me driving, and they would send me uh, down the road to his brother, who was also a dairy farmer, Bob Smith, and he would go, go, go up there and get this or that. And, yeah, yeah. And I'd say, well, you really want me? Yeah, just take the pickup truck, you know, and I would off I'd go up the road a few miles on this dirt road. It was called Country Club Road, which is still there. Right. And uh, and I would go to get parts without a license uh, in this truck. Um, so had a ball and I returned home uh, to start my junior year of school. And uh, junior knew, year of college? No, this was high school. Oh, still high school. Yeah, this okay, is still, still high school. Okay. And, and so I thought, all right, well, I looked around and there weren't really any dairy herds nearby in, in Chester. There were a couple active dairy farms then, but not close to my home. But right around the corner uh, was a farm called Parks Farms, which is still here in Chester on Route 24. P-A-R-K-S? That's right. And, uh, and they had dairy farmed at one time, but had transitioned to retail fruit and vegetables. They had a, a farm stand and they'd been doing it for a long time. And, um, and they needed help picking apples. So I drove up there and, and talked to uh, Barbara Parks, uh, who 
uh, was working in the stand, and I said, hey, you know, I just spent the summer. Um, now, did they know who you were? No, I was just a kid around the corner. They didn't okay. know who I was. They knew you me. had the fall that had the repair I, shop I, down I would, the city. In Clifton, right. I would ride my bike right. there to get sweet corn. Right. So she was familiar with me, but she didn't know me. Okay. And for the record, she never thought he'd last through apple season. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but that, now, now, so that was, now Mary, that was your grandparents who had it? It was my grandparents' farm at the time. Okay. So what he's leaving out is they also had a granddaughter. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> story didn't get there to, yet. Okay, that, yet to come. That didn't yet to come. All right, sorry. Go on. That, I interrupted you. That, w- that was a fringe benefit that I that took me thirty five or forty years to figure out. Okay, but, well, it's um, slow farmer. You know, you're not the hot <laughs> rod farmer. <laughs> not at all. Um, so um, she said, "Sure, I'll give you a chance." So they hired me for I think it was two seventy five an hour, right? To uh, to pick apples, and uh, and I had a ball, right? You know, picking apples, uh, picking pumpkins, and doing the things we were doing was really really fun, and. Um, and so I stayed on. In fact, I enjoyed it so much. This was now my, my junior year in high school. I was playing lacrosse, and lacrosse is a spring sport. And That's a rough game. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I was never great, but I did my best because, you know, I remember my goal at one time was to go to a service academy. I needed a couple sports uh, on my resume. So I started my, my lacrosse season in the spring, and I had been working all winter pruning trees and working at the farm. And I, two weeks into lacrosse season, I really, really missed working. And I went and talked to the coach. I said, you know, coach, I said, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really missing work and I enjoy it a lot. And I, I think I'm going to uh, leave the team and, and, and work this spring. And, and that's what I did. So I didn't, I stopped playing lacrosse that uh, spring year, my junior year. And I went back to uh, Parks and I spent the next uh, two and a half years there working with them, you know, uh, honing my craft. Uh, you know, learning how to be a fruit and vegetable grower, the practical side of that, and becoming more familiar with um, retailing, of being a farm retailer, because they, they retailed their products. They also had a little bit of pick your own with strawberries. And, and that really meshed well with the experience I gained with my father and grandfather working in the service station, right. where I learned how to be, you know, I, le- I, I learned to understand customer service, uh, understood uh, small business ownership, I came to understand the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, you th- consider my grandfather coming from Germany with right. nothing, right, and making it. So, so it was the combination of those life experiences, uh, working at the service station and then working up milking cows in Vermont, really, and then uh, learning fruit and vegetable farming and direct marketing uh, in Chester that really forged me, you know, and directed me. It was found the foundation of where you are yeah, today. Yeah, for sure. And so I ended up uh, going to uh, Delaware Valley University. I knew that I wanted to... That's uh, in Pennsylvania, right? That's in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's it used to be Delaware Valley College of Science and Agriculture. That's what it was when okay. I went. It was a better name. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, and I uh, chose to major in horticulture, right, which was the science of uh, fruit and vegetable yeah, production. And I did some minor work in agronomy and also in ag business. And I finished up my, uh, my degree. I got a Bachelor of Science in Horticulture, which I wrapped up in 85. And throughout that time, I was, I was doing some farming and, uh, and was doing farming on my own. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm just going to stop you for one sure. second, all right? I just want to just go back because I have a couple of questions I want to ask you. Is that your, your grandparents antique store in Vermont that was only open in the summertime when the tourists were there? That's correct. 
Okay, so it was closed during, that's kind of what I assume. Now, when you decided to go up and work on the dairy farm, how did your father feel about that? Because guys in the repair business like free help also. Yeah, well, that's a great story. And, uh, you know, and my father and grandfather were extraordinarily supportive of my career decisions and were, and frankly, quite excited about it, which is apparent today, uh, I feel is very remarkable because uh, I, I think every parent they want to. They want their legacy to continue, and especially since your grandfather borrowed the two thousand dollars. That's all right. Compose yourself here yeah. for for sure, and and so today, as as we're building our family business here, and we see the opportunities to to transfer it and to uh, and to uh, build a legacy of of having a family business continue into multiple generations. Uh, you know, it's helped me to recognize how. Uh, valuable the gift was that my uh, father and grandfather gave me in encouraging me to move on uh, to a career that was my passion. Right, and and that was really, and I have to, obviously I never met your grandfather or your father, but I have to really, to your point, give them a lot of credit because, I mean, especially your father was only one one click away from your grandfather coming over on the boat. You know, his yeah. father coming over on the boat, borrowing the money, and uh, setting up the business and having a successful business all those years. And to be able to, uh, it, it takes a very, very wonderful family and parent to, be, to, to let their son go and choose something that is that they haven't, that, I mean, your grandfather was in Germany, Germany was in a farmer, but he was so far removed from him now, and to let you go and to find what I like to say in life, to find your voice. Well, and they were excited about it too, right? Not only did they let it happen, uh, but they encouraged it and supported it and were really excited about it. And I, and I think looking back as a, an adult now and a, and a parent, uh, I, I recognized how significant that was of them. I, uh, you know, I think they knew probably that uh, that I was the the key to the next uh, generation of that business. You know, my brothers had never really expressed a lot of interest in it. Not okay. that they weren't capable, but so I think they knew uh, that that set a, a a clock in motion that would wind down the business eventually. And for them to be as supportive as they were uh, is incredible and a, and, a, and a gift. And we 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 talk about these these God alignments that occurred throughout my life and throughout my career and that continue to, and certainly that was one of them. And so I would tell you that as a parent today, that's one of the things that has really resonated with me as we raise uh, our four children and as we discuss what their options are for their future. And uh, none of them are, are forced to be here, none of them uh, have to be here, but they're all invited to be here. And they all know that there's an opportunity for them to be in this business, uh, that there's a lot of uh, reasons why this could be a really good career for them. And there's a lot of uh, attributes to the career that are very positive, uh, not just financially, but also from a lifestyle standpoint and from a passion standpoint. And uh, so they all know they're invited. They all know that there's an opportunity. Uh, they all know that uh, there's only gonna be ownership with, um, with active engagement, that uh, we're gonna value sweat equity. Uh, but they also know that uh, they're not obligated to, and they can pursue a dream of their own, and we're going to equally support them in supporting another dream. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll see how that proceeds. Right now, uh, two of our children are adults and finishing up or actively engaged in ag school right now, and uh, they are indicating that they want to be here and be part of this business, which is making Wonderful. 
Yeah, which is great. Um, and I attribute, you know, our philosophy to my parents' philosophy. Yes. You know, and I think that, you know, Mary uh, learned, uh, you know, as through her family's challenges in transitioning their farm business. Some of it uh, went well, some of it not as well. And I think that we've, and I saw that firsthand working there in high school. And I think, so we've drawn upon our experiences and have really tried to be proactive and responsible and uh, supportive parents um, in every way, right? And that doesn't mean, you know, forcing a kid to be in the business, right? It has to be an invitation because you, you can't force somebody to want to be in the farming career. You know, it really needs to be an invitation. And then I think you need to be willing to step away. Right. Uh, I think, you know, a, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that uh, the business can go on forever. And, and I think you need to recognize that uh, if you're going to have a successful multi-generational business, you need, to, um, you need to have fresh ideas, you need to have energy. And to, for that to happen, uh, you can't be there forever. And, and you need to be willing to let go. And you need to be willing not only to let go to a, a different generation of ownership, you also need to be willing to let go to key employees and managers uh, because if you want to grow a business, you can't do it by yourself. No, no, it can't be, especially if farming. Agriculture is so in, yes. labor-intensive. But I'm going to go back and flip the pages back a little bit. Uh, you had said that when you were in Delaware Valley, you came, you would, you would start to do some farming, but you had no land. What did you farm? Well, you know, it's, so that's a great question. So while I was working at Parks's, uh, I, I got to get to that because I think yeah, that's a key element. It is. It is. The lady so, sitting the, to your side the, over here. There's so many pieces of the puzzle. And, uh, you know, and, and I would just say that it was that first fall, Christmas time. So that would have been, uh, we calculated that to be 1980, right? Uh, so Christmas of 80, um, you know, Mary was born and raised in Vermont. Her parents are Chester oh, natives. Yep. Hinesburg, Vermont. And uh, so her mom was one of five Parks children, and her dad, uh, Art Thompson, who's, who's still uh, helping us here on the farm, um, was both Chester natives. And, uh, you know, they met, fell in love, and, uh, and, and Art ended up pursuing a career in education, got an opportunity to uh, teach in Virgence, Vermont, and that's what swept them away from their hometown of Chester up to Vermont. So it was Christmas time, and then they both, you know, they came home to their hometown for Christmas, and uh, that's when I first met Mary, was uh, when she came home to celebrate Christmas with both sets of her grandparents, one of them being Scott and Mary Parks at Parks Farms. Okay, so you came, so you're a Vermont girl, right, Mary? I am, yeah. yeah. Okay, already. Our family goes back a little further than Kurt's. Um, we, my aunts and grandparents and have traced our roots to the Mayflower. Wow. Um, so we've been here a long time in New Jersey for a now, couple hundred it, years. Is that an English name, Parks? Um, it, it's all of its wasp. Um, wasp. All okay. of them for wasp. sure. Um, okay. Yeah, Parks, I think, is more from Wales. Um, Thompson okay. is Scottish, but okay. all the British Isles. And um, yeah, so we've been here. We were here for a long time. And, and Kurt told the story of my mom and dad. They, My dad got a teaching job in Vermont and his father similarly had his own business uh was expecting my dad to kind of be part of it and my dad said i don't think i want to do this i think i want to teach and and the business being the farm um no this is actually uh the farm was my mom's family okay um my dad's uh father owned an excavating business okay. and I was playing in the dark <laughs> yeah right um and you know my father wanted to teach and his father said okay 
And oh. what, did, what did he teach you? Uh, science. Science, okay, high school? High school science, yep. Wow. He taught freshmen, 14-year-olds for 40 years. Wow. Well, okay, so now we're going to... Just going to divest for a, for a couple of minutes here, right? Because you, you brought me into it, and you, so around 1980, right? Christmas of 1980, you where where was Mary when you saw her for the first time? She, she, uh, they they had driven up to the house, and I was working at the shop near the house at Parks, and they were unloading Christmas gifts into the house. Okay, all right. <laughs> and I so, think somewhere right, along guy to guy. So what did you do? You saw her. <laughs> No, I'm, a, I'm a bit younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, this this was not love at first sight. This oh, was okay. this was when we first met. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that's the catalyst, right? That's the germination. Your right. farm, you put the seed in the ground. It's got to germinate well, before it emerges, right? The well, love didn't emerge yet. I, I didn't expect you to fall in love with that second. No, I, I think the more remarkable thing, and as the the story unfolds, you'll see, you know how how interwoven our lives have been on very separate parallel tracks for for decades right so we we trace that back to when we first met uh but you know it was you know 40 40 years before we got married you know okay. and and through some challenging circumstances yes, I know. so uh but but you know had uh, that first had that job at parks not occurred had i not been there working that winter and and truthfully it was mary's parents that the relationship was with for many years you know mary and i only saw each other at a at a funeral for a grandparent uh, it was very infrequent over those 40 years but i i saw her parents every year and and uh, maintained a relationship with her parents and it's uh, pretty remarkable and, and it all was attributed to my my job picking apples at Parks Farms. I will tell you, my grandparents were incredibly proud of him. My grandmother had a scrapbook of every time he showed up in an agriculture magazine, every time. And she kept the scrapbook, despite the fact that her sons were also farming. So they were very, very proud. Now, do you remember when you saw him when you came for Christmas in 1980? Tell um, the truth. Tell the truth. No, probably not. Oh, no, heck with him. Yeah, uh, yeah. So were you blonde hair and blue eyed then? Of course. Yeah. You okay. know, long hair. It was the seventies, oh, so I had longer hair. Okay. Yeah, hippie farmer. Hippie farmer. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I was also six. So oh, okay. And I don't know. I, do you even have 16. permanent <laughs> memories at six? Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. yeah. All right, so now we went over there. So we're going to get back to what I just wanted to bring it because that was like the missing link here. Now, you said, what land were you farming when you were so, in Delaware Valley? Well, so so in, in the midst of working uh, at Parks's, uh, my, my neighbor across the street, this guy named Ron Fisher, and his, he had a nickname called Tuna Fish. Okay. And uh, Ron was a Vietnam vet, and he was in the Navy, and he had red hair that was about two feet long and, and a ring in his nose when nobody had rings in, his no, in their noses and tattoos. And, uh, and he had a chopper, you know, this big white chopper called a, called, that he called the orange peel. Okay. And uh, that went with his red hair. And, and he, he, they not only called him tuna fish, but they called him red. And because he was really red hair. And, but the, the nicest neighbor you could ever ask for in the world. And so I, w- I helped him mow lawns for a little bit of extra cash on weekdays when I couldn't get down to the gas station. And he had this old, broken-down Ford 9N tractor. We have a 9N. Back, right. And so, you know, I think when I was 15, I said, you know, hey, Ron, you know, uh, you know, why don't you sell that tractor to me? Oh, Kurt, it's a piece of junk, you know. Uh, you know, you, you don't want that. I couldn't even take money. I said, no, nah, Ron, I really want to buy it. And he said, says, all right. I'll, he says, you know what, just take it. You know, the thing will never run, blah, blah, blah. So 
we, uh, I got my brother Eric to help me, and we we pulled it to my dad's house with a. We had a wheel horse uh, garden tractor. Yeah, yeah, they were good. They were yeah, Kohler fourteen horse power engine, cast iron, great thing. And we had we had ag tires on it, you know, I had it all right. weighted down. So we 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 pulled this nine end down to the house with. Um, how uh, far was that from your just house? Just across the street. Okay. Yeah, you know, down to dad's house, and you know, so f- it was a, a nine end, so flathead four cylinder yes. engine, and. Uh, you know, pulled the head off, got it freed up, got it loose, had it running in a week, right? Wow. You know, dad helped, of course, but uh, had I got the thing running in a week, and I, and uh, I, I didn't have a wire harness in it, and so the wire to the coil, I had just a wire jammed into the battery, like with a yeah, pair yeah, of yeah. vice grips, right, to energize the, yeah. the the ignition system, and I drove it up there, you know, to Ron to show him I got it running, and he was amazed, and that was my first tractor, and we still have that tractor, and then. Ron's parents lived next door and there was a little field and they let me use some of that field to um, grow some vegetables. And I started growing cherry tomatoes and selling them to some local restaurants to use in their salad bars. Okay. And that was my first uh, farming. That's how I, so while I was working at Parks, I was, uh, excuse me, growing cherry tomatoes and uh, delivering them to restaurants and, uh, and then I started doing some, you know, working at parks. I was doing a little bit of custom work, and I bought a rotary mower and was mowing some pastures. And then the with the nine N, with the nine with N. the nine N originally, and then I bought a uh, Ford six hundred one Selecto Speed okay. was the second tractor, and uh, that was probably from the early sixties, right? Yeah, that was a sixty four. Okay, and uh, and again, it was a little bit of a junker, and I re- redid it and got the thing working. And you know, if anybody has Selecto Speeds out there, you know that they're a pretty special trans, yeah. and I. I've rebuilt several Selecto speeds now, and um, and and it was a great tractor. And we had that tractor here on the farm for 30 years, and finally I couldn't get parts for the Selecto speed. And in hindsight, I traded it in and got a 2610 Ford tractor used. And uh, but I could I should have changed the transmission out. Is what I right. you know. There's a place in Texas that offers these Ford components because that engine was a was, that was, was a gas engine, was it? Gas engine, 134 uh, gas engine. Those yeah. Ford industrial engines were yeah. bulletproof, Oof. and that thing ran like a horse. And I should have kept it in hindsight, uh, but I just didn't even think about right. changing out the trans back then. Um, so the old 601 is long gone, um, but. Uh, uh, from, from growing vegetables and doing some custom work in 1984, um, I was, uh, there was a fellow by the name of Wilmer Gilpin who farmed nearby in Long Valley, New Jersey. And, uh, and the farm that we are on right now today uh, became available for rent. And it was all hay at the time, about 200 acres of hay. And, uh, and he had too much going on and couldn't do it himself. So he said, hey, Kurt, do you want to do this hay on shares? And I said, sure, right? So he rented it, and uh, and I made the hay, and we split the stuff 50-50. You were a sharecropper. Yeah, and the way that I got the hay equipment was uh, there was another family over in Peapack Gladstone, which is in Somerset County, New Jersey, next door here, and it's a very affluent area. Today. Yeah, and well, it was affluent then, too, you know, a okay. ton of old money. And, in fact, uh, this farm uh, that was owned by the Edgecombs um, housed a horse for Jackie Onassis. Oh, wow. And, and so they had some pretty affluent horses there, and it was their own farm, and, um, and they needed somebody to make the hay. They'd had a guy, uh, and he was gone. So they had the hay equipment. So, 
So I got there, I think this was in, you know, 80, my senior year in high school, 82. Uh, you know, I, I made the hay there. They had a Ford 7000, an old 336 John Deere Baylor, and I made the hay there. The following year, I had this, you know, this idea, like, you know, gosh, you know, you don't need to own this hay equipment. You know, why don't you sell it to me, and I'll still make your hay, and, right. and that way I can do some other haymaking. Was it Timothy hay? What were they raising? Yeah, it? orchard grass mostly for the horses, and a little bit of Timothy. So, so they 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 sold me their hay equipment and financed it. You know, they held the note for two years, right? Gave me an opportunity, like so many did. So I, I bought this hay equipment from them, uh, and. That then was the hay equipment that I first used here at the home farm. So this home farm, which is another remarkable story, um, was originally owned by the Menon family. Yeah, Mary was telling me that before we set up that this was, the, and the building we're in was actually an airplane hangar. That, that's right. This was George Menon's airplane hangar, and he used to land his airplane on the, the hay field nearby, which is now filled with peach trees. And and he had a, you know, the Menons were you know remarkable people. George was third generation. And he had a Spartan executive aircraft, and that thing has a radial engine that you'll die for. And, and if you, if, if your listeners look it up, uh, it was called Mrs. Menon. And there was only a few of these Spartan corporate aircrafts ever single made. Engine? Single yeah, engine, yeah, single engine, radial engine, and you know, just a sound like you've never heard Perfect. before. And I've heard it a few times. So he had a Spartan, and he had a couple other aircraft, and it was a, he had a real affinity for for flying. I'm uh, just going to interrupt you for one yes. second. Is that just so the audience knows, the Menon Company is still it's still in existence today. It, it, no? Well, the name is in existence. It's now part of Colgate Palmolive. Okay, but so, they made deodorants and, and skin bracer. Remember Joan Speed Dean, stick, right? Right? Speed, speed stick, speed stick. So just so the audience knows that the that it was this this, this corporate Menon family yeah, and and very affluent and lived in a very modest little home on this farm in Chester. His father, William Menon bought this as a gentleman farm in the late 20s, early 30s, like so many corporate magnets did back in the day. They wanted, maybe even today, people still do it, right? They want to be gentleman farmers. And they raised registered Angus here. So he wow. had this massive Angus operation. Red Angus or black Angus? Black Angus. Black. And, uh, and had a, a very loyal farm manager named Dick McDade, who was here for many, many years. You know, So uh, old Mr. Menon, they called him Poppy, passed away. And then Dick McDade passed away. My dad remembers Pappy Menon chasing him around when they would sneak on the farm to do something they weren't supposed to do. And my dad, who's 81, will tell the story about how Pappy used to chase them around in his car. So, so this what was, are you doing on the farm? Now, I, I, that part of, of never, the story I've never gotten. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe you don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... So we, um, so in '84, started making the hay here. The you know Dick McDade had died. There, there was no longer Black Angus. Old Poppy Men had passed away. Uh, George and his wife Kay were living here. Really enjoyed living on the farm, but there wasn't really much happening here. And uh, so they they brought in Wilmer Gilpin to make the hay. He brought me in, did it for a year, and then uh, spring of '85, which was when I was graduating college. Uh, you know, Wilmer said, "You know, Kurt." Uh, you know, it's, it's really not working out for me on shares. Why don't you just take it on yourself? I said, okay, well, thanks for the opportunity. So then I went and I met with uh, the Menons and, and their, their children were helping to uh, run the farm at that point. Then uh, the oldest was uh, Jeff and a sister, Christine, and a son, another brother, uh, John, owned the farm together. They were transitioning. And I said, hey, you know, I'm this young guy, I made the hay here last year, you know, are you interested? And they said, sure, we'll give you a shot. And they, uh, 
And I said, well, gosh, you know, uh, the, the farm needs a lot of work and it needs lime and it needs a lot of agronomic improvements. You know, I, why don't you just let me farm it for a few years and, and let me build things back up. And they said, sure, that we'll, we'll do that. And they, so I didn't pay any rent, but I invested a lot into cleaning the place, right. the barns, everything. And, um, and, and that evolved into a, you know, 30 year relationship that, that certainly was the foundation for us uh, being able to build the business and have what we have today. They provided me with a tremendous amount of freedom and trust to uh, build the business on their farm. And I think that the, the premise was always take care of mom and dad. And uh, George and Kay uh, lived in a small cottage here on the farm. For, this was mom and dad Menon. Yeah, that's right. And they lived here for five months and 29 days. Okay. <laughs> and then they were in Florida for six months and one day to maintain their tax oh, status Oh, that's Florida. the tax status. Okay. That's right. And, uh, and, and, and that was what gave me the, uh, the, st the start here on this farm. And there was another farm here that's owned by a longtime Chester family, uh, Mrs. Maria Young, now Cogger. She was a biology teacher at Westmore Central. And we also started renting that farm. And that was a great opportunity for us because we were able to build our first farm stand there. So, um, so between uh, Mrs. Young's farm and the farm here owned by the, the Menon family, uh, I pretty quickly established a nice land base and had the freedom to, uh, to start building the business and expand the business. Uh, on, the, on the Mrs. Young's farm, we built a little farm stand that we opened in 1986. I was out of college, so I was retailing by 1986 and, uh, and just continued to build and expand and change the, the business since then. But that was, but it, just correct me if I'm wrong, at that particular point, you did not own the land, correct? Those families, the respective families own the land. That's that correct. That you built the farm stand on. And, uh, and so we're going to have to transition to that in a few minutes. But I want to go back to your tomato patch on the Vietnam vet's father's property, correct? Yes, that's correct. With the cherry tomatoes. That's right. Right, the cherry. Now, and maybe you gleaned this, but you were a young guy, maybe you didn't glean it. When your grandfather, because he was still alive, correct? Who That's was correct. the farmer in Germany, yes. and he came up and he saw. Did you did you catch a little glean in his eye that he was happy that you were going into agriculture? I know they supported you, yeah. but they supported you through love. Yeah, he was genuinely excited, you know. I th and so was Dad. Uh, you know, remember my my parents were uh, moved to Chester to gain a little bit more space and get a couple horses. So there was always an attraction and desire to be connected with agriculture you know my okay. my you know my maternal grandparents had the, the 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 shop up in vermont next to a dairy farm so my mother right. spent uh, a lot of summers up so there you're exposed to it. you yeah. know and she grew up in brooklyn right so oh brooklyn God. before ridgewood so you know here this city girl was up in vermont you know milking cows as a teenager uh, from brooklyn and and fell in love with livestock doing that so so there were lots of people circumventing my life who were very excited for what we but were that was doing. your first crop that was your first crop i yeah. mean that's a big uh, that's a big big deal yeah. your first crop well getting people to pick cherry tomatoes is no easy task it takes a lot of time a lot of and, bending uh, over. so there's a lot of good stories about my friends and my brothers yeah. uh uh, sharing about how I had to bribe them to help pick cherry tomatoes. <laughs> now, were they older than you or were they younger? I'm, I'm the oldest. So I have okay. another brother, Eric, who's two years younger, and then a brother, Brett, that's uh, five years younger. And what do they do for a living, man? Uh, yeah, my brother, Eric, is in the uh, 825 uh, Operators Union, running okay. construction equipment, and then who lives in Chester. And his nephew works for us uh, full time. And then. Our nephew. Yeah, his, oh, son. Yeah, his son, yeah. Yeah. 
Did I say our nephew? My nephew? Yeah. Yes, our nephew. That's all right. Um, and then uh, Brett is a manager at, at Verizon Telephone. Okay. You know, you know old-fashioned telephone. Right, uh, right. Not as old-fashioned as I'd like. I'd like, I'd like rotary dial. Alexander <laughs> Graham Bell Telephone, yeah. as opposed to yeah. wireless, right? right? Although now I guess it's all uh, high-end cables and things. Right. But. But, but Mary, and I'm just going to stop you for a second, Kirk, is that... Your life at this particular point, while he was doing all of this, right? You you knew of him, correct? Yeah. And your life was still in Vermont. My life was in Vermont. And yeah. what what because you're you're a key component of this? What path were you taking? Um, I guess well, pretty, it was pretty straightforward. Um, I went to high school. I went to the same high school where my dad wound up teaching. Okay. Um, was there for for four years and um, was just that kid that had to leave Vermont. So okay. when it came time to go to college. I went to school in Connecticut. Well, it's um, not too far. <laughs> yeah, not too far. Um, I went to Fairfield University, so I was close to New Jersey. Okay. Um, it's about two hours from here where my family is. Um, and then I went home for a year after I graduated from Fairfield. I studied sociology, thought I wanted to be a social worker, figured out really quickly that wasn't what I wanted to do at okay. all. Um, and then I went home for a year. I worked and decided when you say home you meant vermont vermont yep um and i'm an only child so no siblings up there just my mom and dad it was always kind of just the three of us and i decided to move to boston and i a lot of my college roommates were there and it just seemed like the right place so i moved to boston got a job working at boston college uh wound up getting a master's degree for free uh, I what did it, you do with the college? Um, I worked in an office called Student Services, which okay. was... So had nothing to do with the sociology degree? Nothing to do with the sociology degree, no. Um, I credit my mother for the master's degree when I went home and I said, oh, hey, mom, I got this job at Boston College and, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here's all the benefits and I get free tuition. And she was like, wait, stop, what? Did you just say tuition's free? And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, just pick a degree, any degree, and just get it done. Right. Um, so I wasn't looking for that, but she was right. She was absolutely right. So I got a master's degree in higher education administration um, and stayed in higher ed. Um, I lived in Boston for 20 years. Uh, I actually got married in Boston, okay. had my daughter in Boston. Okay, and um, that's not to Kurt. Not to Kurt. Right. Uh, got divorced in Boston. Okay. And, you went a full um, circle. Uh, yeah, exactly. How far were your parents' place in Vermont from where Boston? Geography. Um, about 225 oh, miles. Oh, okay. Okay, so it was a good ride. Yeah. Um, sadly, and this sort of plays into Kurt and my story, uh, my mom got sick. And being an only, I went home. Right. You had to take care. What, 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 what did she get? What illness did she uh, get? My mom had lung cancer. She oh, was not a smoker. Really? Um, yeah. That's a bad disease. Yeah. Um, I guess we thought that it would go better than it did. Um, she had surgery, and that was great. And she was cancer-free for two years, and then it came back. And when it oh, came back, it wasn't... vengeance. Yeah. It wasn't great. So... I packed up my daughter and sold my house in Massachusetts and moved in with my parents in Vermont. Um, and your dad is still alive. My dad is still alive. Yeah, he's 81. Okay. And um, so my mom passed away in 2017. Okay, I'm sorry. And uh, when she, after she died, my dad said, don't go. So my daughter and I stayed with him and we were carving out our life up there. And it was going well. I sort of always thought Sarah was a Vermont kid just like me. Right. She really fit there. Um, 
How old was Sarah? That Sarah is your daughter. Are you? Sarah's my daughter. How yep. old was she at that time? Uh, when my mom died, she was seven. Okay, little girl. Yeah, very little. Um, and uh, actually, Kurt came to my mom's funeral. Yes, he had told me that before we had the show. Yes. Um, so I think that was kind of the first time that we sort of saw each other as adults. Yes. Um, just as human beings before we just sort of spun in each other's circles. Um, and then, I don't know how much I'm fast forwarding here. No, but, that's all right. Um, it's your story, you're part of this. During COVID, uh, he called my dad. He would still talk to my dad. My dad would stop by. Kurt would very generously give him peaches. Um, and so he, he so was So your dad was, but he was coming to New Jersey to see the rest of his family? Yeah. But he um, still lived in Vermont. Yep. And still is there about 50% okay. of the time. Um, but we always have a draw here. I have 21 first cousins. Most wow. of them are here. Um, my mom was one of five. My dad's the oldest of three. So we have a lot of family around. And uh, during COVID, Kurt called my dad and said, hey, I'm, uh, Carl and I, the his, Kurt's youngest, um, are going to be in Vermont. Are you guys open to visitors? You know, here are all the precautions we're taking. And my dad and I were like, yeah, of course, come to dinner. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, and so he came to dinner with Carl. And uh, that's when he shared with us that um, his first wife, Barbara, was sick with cancer. Okay. Um, and so, you know, we sort of, my dad and I sort of shook our heads and thought, oh, no, like, this is not great. Um, and then Kurt kept in touch with my dad. I don't know how far down the road you want me to no, go. Or go, go, go back to Kurt. Show. Um, so Kurt kept in touch with my dad and uh, eventually started talking about what does this path look like? With What's it going to look like to lose my wife this way? Um, but of course, my dad's 80. So he talks on speakerphone. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so Sarah, you heard everything. I did. I did. And so Sarah and I lived with him. So I heard everything that was going on. And, um, you know, that's... That was sort of the, the beginning. And um, I think what sort of cemented us being us in a very strange way um, was when Barbara passed away, because Kurt had come to my mom's funeral, of course, my dad wanted to be I here for her funeral. Uh, but it was still during COVID and my dad was high risk. So was on the vaccine schedule. And it just so happened that his second vaccine, which of course at the time you couldn't miss, um, even by a day, was scheduled for the same day as Barbara's okay. funeral. So he was like, I can't go, but one of us has to. And I was like, okay, so I guess I'm going to New Jersey, call Aunt Sandy and see if I can stay with her. Yeah. Um, and so I wound up being the one at okay. the funeral. And, and what did, Kurt, what did, what did your wife die of? It was pancreatic cancer, pancreatic. and oh. it was very quick, six, six months, you know, so yeah. a, a healthy woman, 25 years of marriage, and uh, three children, uh, business partner, wife, mother, yeah. and, uh, and, and it was, uh, we had just gotten through all the crazy of the first spring of COVID, and as a, as a farm retailer, of course, things were extraordinarily busy, and we... Yes pivoted and adjusted very quickly to curbside and to deliveries and online ordering, you know, all these things to accommodate people that, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine, it's four years now, but 
the 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 fear people had of running out of food, right? You know, think oh, you hear about the we joke about toilet paper, but right. people were really concerned about food at the time. There was fear that you know the disease was being transmitted through even contact. And yeah, it was crazy times. It, it was very crazy, and we didn't know if we were going to get all of our staff members because March was when we're really gearing up, and we needed H two A workers, which is what we use. And so I, you know, told all the kids, and, and we homeschooled. Barb uh, did did all the education for our kids, and I said, "You guys need to be ready." I said, "You know, we may be riding transplanters, you know, twenty four hours a day if we can't get our staff members." Yeah. And we were just very fortunate; we had all of our supplies. Uh, but at any rate, so we had really dug in and made it through, and had a very successful spring. Uh, things had started to subside a little bit in June. We were able to breathe a little bit. And my wife and I were able to get away for a day or two. And that was the last week of June. And she had a bellyache uh, while we were away. And we, in fact, we went to Cape Cod and uh, came home. And she was working that Saturday then. And she said, you know, Kurt, I really have some pain. I must have a gallstone or something. Went to get it checked out. And that night we knew we had a tumor. Oh, so at that particular point, you didn't know she had cancer yet? No, it was that fast. Wow. So we, we, she went from 100% healthy to 100% stage four pancreatic cancer in 24 hours. Unbelievable. That's how, that's how fast uh, life can change. And I think that you know, if there's any message that we would share with your listeners today is the ability to, to just take these changes, the, these, these shocks that occur in a life and just to work through them, right? Because things can change that quickly. And when we, when in, in business circles and farming, we talk about estate planning and we talk about insurance and we talk about succession, transition planning, yeah. succession planning, you know, it really is important to do all these things because, you know, we were really fortunate. Uh, you know, Barbara and I had, had been married since 1997, and we and we did all the right things, right? We had the insurances in place, we had the business agreements in place, we did we did everything right, and and what it did was it took a, a big burden off of us while we were helping mom. Yes. And Barb with her treatments, uh, you know we. You know, when, when I first knew what we were dealing with, I, I made a, you know, a, a call to our attorney and I called up our consultant at Farm Credit and said, hey, you know, is there, here's what I'm dealing with. Is there anything we need to do that we haven't already done? And the answer to both was no, you're set. And, and so the, the comfort that with that was it allowed us to you know, 100% of, of our attention to taking care okay, of Barb. Which was a blessing. And navigating through that at a time when uh, you know, there was still COVID. So yeah. we're going in and doing treatments and, you know, worried that, my gosh, you know, what happens if, uh, if, if there's a COVID hit and we can't, we had to do, we had to do temperature checks to get into the hospital and we had to do yeah, these questionnaires, you know, yeah, it's, it Nightmare. was, yeah, Nightmare. it was crazy. And, uh, and, and if you can imagine, uh, six months later, uh, I wasn't even allowed to be in the hospital. Barb had to go into the hospital. She had just gotten really bad. And we had to have a discussion about hospice care on the telephone. The decision to go into hospice was done on the telephone with a conference call with a doctor. You would think that that would be something in, in any other world you would want to be in person holding hands. Jeez. And we had to have that conversation uh, uh, by telephone. You know, I think the, um, the remarkable part of that story, bear with me. Yes, you just, can just compose yourself. So the remarkable time. part of that story is, um, and we've 
we've not spent a lot of time talking about Barb. You know, we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but of course, it's, you know, 25 years of my life, and and Barb was a business partner as well as a, a life partner and mother. And I liked and, it. She was so much braver than I am. Like I would not have had the guts and to support him in those lean times. I think it. and say go for it. Yeah. And she was such a huge supporter. And no, this is where we're supposed to be. This is what we're doing. And stay the course. And I'm sure Kurt will talk about it later. But I think you know, exact perfect partner at the perfect time. And she did. She come. Did her family come from a farming? Background? No, not at all. Uh, but Chester born and raised. Went okay. to Westmore Central. I was class of '82. She was class of. 84, you know, so sort of the old classic way, but we didn't know each other in high school. Okay. It was, uh, we met at church, you know, many years later, obviously. And, um, but, but, it, you know, Mary's right. Barbara was the one, we went through a, a really, really challenging financial time in the end of 02, where we had to really uh, get down on our knees and, and, and seek guidance as to whether we should actually stay in business. You know, our, our consultant said, you know, uh, you're at a point where you could sell everything and still be whole uh, because you can't you can't continue to operate the way you're operating. We were making hay, doing grain, wholesale vegetables, right, doing okay. some retail, all this crazy stuff, sure. and uh, you know working like dogs. And uh, he said, you know, it's it's not a sustainable model anymore economically. You know, so my recommendation is you sell. You guys have good educations. My Barbara had a degree in education. Uh, and get get you know get, get good job. jobs and and make a lot of money and call it a day right and uh, he said the alternative is you're going to have to really significantly change this business and you're going to have to borrow a tremendous amount of money you're not bankable right now with any type of conventional banking so you're going to have to find this money in some sort of incredible way and and your balance sheet is going to be so weak you know I would never recommend to anybody that. Um, you should put yourself into that place. And, and it, you would think that it was me that said, oh, this is my life stream, you know, I got to do it, got to stick with it. Uh, and it was Barbara, you know, and she married in. It wasn't her life stream right. to be a farmer, right? That was my life stream, you know, that was my right. God sighting. And, and it was Barb who said, you know, Kurt, this is, this is what we decided we wanted to do with our children. We, we, we agreed we want to stay here in New Jersey, we want to farm here in Chester. We want to raise our children on a farm. And at that point, we only had one daughter, our oldest, Rebecca. She said, this is where we're supposed to be. Let's make this work. And so then we um, secured uh, over a half a million dollars worth of financing uh, from the Menon family. And, and it wasn't well, free money. But, but they, it came back, they came back to the Menons. They, yeah, well, we were still here. They still own the farm. And, okay. you know, and of course, they, they needed us and we needed them. And, and so they... They they loaned us five hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and and which we legitimately paid interest on, but it was had some preferable terms, and then all of our other lenders, uh, Farm Credit, uh, our local bank, Pete Gladstone Bank, and another private person, they all worked with us to work to to readjust and refinance and get through this tough time, and uh, and we did right, you know, remarkably, uh, you know, that was the end of '02, and. By 05, um, we were starting to climb out you know, of that of that cellar, that basement, and and got we're getting on on solid ground, 
and uh, you know it's hard to fathom i've been farming for 40 years that that came at the 20 year mark right so it took 20 years for me to figure out how not to farm right, <laughs> right. that's always the you case know, it took 20 we years to figure out way. how to lose enough money that i yeah, needed yeah. to get out of business right i'd worked hard and had a ball but it wasn't making money right then we changed right and and that is when i would say that i really learned how to be a good farm business owner right, right? not just a farmer right. but a farm business right. owner and uh, you know, by 2014, just 12 years later, you know, we bought this farm from the Menon family, and to, and to think that we went from, you know, being sharecropping, basically out of business, just about to being able to purchase this home farm is 377 acres, and we and we legitimately purchased it from the Menon family. It's preserved; they preserved it in 06, and okay. then we purchased in 14. Um, but that that was Barbara's courage, you know, to to stay the course in 02 that led to all these things that, you know, bring us to today, which is, you know, a, a remarkable business and uh, a business that, that offers, you know, significant careers to a lot of people. And, and that can be, that offers career opportunities for our children, uh, that has uh, influenced a lot of other young people to enter agriculture, you know, and all that made possible because of Barbara's courageous decision, you know, back in 02 to say, stay with it. And then, she was equally courageous, uh, and when she passed away, and uh, did uh, did she pass away at home or was she in hospice? No, uh, a hospice at home, which was okay. the way. Thank God for that, at least. Yeah, and and it was great. It was the most honorable. Yeah, and you know, Mary, I just want to uh, say this to you as as I've written by this far many many times. I didn't know any of this story. I didn't know. I, I I could see the passion when I ride by, but I also could see the look on your face across from the table as we're sitting over here. And I just want to tell the audience that they said that this was a hangar. It's no longer a hangar. It's a beautiful, beautiful either banquet or meeting room, whatever you want to call it. But the point that I want to get to is that your character, the character of who you are, is shining through your face. When well, that's I, very sweet of you to say. When I hear this story and see your facial expression and see how, how you honor and respect your husband's love and history with his first wife. And that really is that, I mean, your, your character. Is, and as a Christian, I know that the good Lord is looking at you and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, I hope so. I mean, I hope that that's our legacy for all of our kids. Um, I certainly hope that plays into Barbara's legacy because as Kurt just said, told the story, I mean, he certainly wouldn't be here without her and we wouldn't be here yeah. without her. And um, I think the part that he's struggling a little bit to tell right now is I was not a part of this. Um, so it's hearsay and, and Kurt will fill in the details. But um, at the end of Barbara's life, she was very clear with Kurt and the children, um, first and foremost, that they not lose faith. That was the most important thing, that this was a hard thing for them, but they needed to remain faithful. And she also, I think, in a way that I cannot even imagine, um, saw what was coming and really wanted to protect the kids and really wanted to protect Kurt. And so it was very clear with all of them that they had to stay the course and that um, Kurt needed to move on, that he was not allowed to get buried in work. Um, that he 
needed to get married again if that's what it took. Um, she made a list. I was not on the list. Oh, you were not on the list. <laughs> she, well, no, she really didn't I, know about I, you, right? I never met Barbara, but um, she, she made a list of people that he could possibly look into. She made a list <laughs> Well, she of, was a businesswoman. She made a list of people he was not allowed to date. Um, yeah. And she was, you know, very, very... Um, clear about the fact that she wanted someone to help him take care of the kids um, and not just get lost in the business. And um, one of the very first conversations that Kurt and I ever had actually was when he called to say, I don't know how to be a single parent. I don't know how to do this. And he had actually called my dad first, of right. course. My dad was like, I don't know how to be a single parent, but talk to Mary because she's been doing it a long time. Mm. And um, he had just dropped Carl off at youth group and he was sitting in the parking lot at church and he was like, well, I think it'll be okay because, you know, I have this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing and I volunteer here and I do this. And Get I, busy, keep busy. And I said, you know, you, you're going to have to decide what I said. I know we don't know each other that well, but I'm going to tell you a hard truth. You're their only parent now and you can't do all these things and be a good dad. So right. I was like, you have to stop. You have right. to figure out what's really important, keep the really important things, yes. and get rid of the rest you're, because that you're it. And uh, it, uh, and you're a, you're a, you're a remarkable woman, Mary. And I say that with tears in my eyes, and uh, the audience obviously can't see that, maybe they could hear it in my voice. And Kurt, you've been blessed to have two wonderful, wonderful wives. And I remember you had said that to me when we spoke on the phone for the first time. And that truly is uh, you, two wonderful women in two different ways. But, but the, the good Lord put you guys together and uh, with, a master, with a master plan. And, and it's hard to rationalize why things happen, right? I think, you know, part of the Christian journey sometimes is, you know, why do bad things happen to good people, right? And, and, and I think Barbara knew how easy it would have been for us to have gone to a place that was really dark and ugly and bad and just get mired in grief and bitterness and anger about, you know, trying to fathom how a faith-filled woman would lose her life at such a young age. How old was she, may I ask? She was 52. Okay, right? she's a young woman, yeah. No, 55, I'm sorry, 55 okay. when she passed. Um, you know, how does this happen, right? And, and she was confident enough in her faith where she understood that, you know, the why wasn't important, right? And, and one of the things we're taught is everything is, is for good. And she knew that we just needed to move on and, and not be filled with grief and that, and that and she understood better than I understood at the time how important that was for the well-being of our children. And, and you know, whether it was you know, creating a whole complete family again with a, you know, the requirement that she, she gave me, it was the night that she decided to go into hospice care. I was allowed to see her in the hospital then. And she had everything laid out. And I, as I sobbed, she gave me all my instructions, uh, which is remarkable. And, and she said, look, you know, you, I thought, you know, at first that, uh, that I would never want to see you remarry, but then I realized that that was really a short sighting on my part, that you need to have a complete family. These kids need a mother. You need a wife. You'll be better as a unit. My only requirement is that you choose very carefully and you choose somebody who will love our children. Yeah, of course. And so... That was a hard conversation yeah, and, 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 for her to have. I can't yeah, imagine. And, and, she, and she was very determined and very clear and very lucid. You know, she was not, uh, you know, this, this was very clearly outlined. And she did have a list. There was a list of, you know, here's, here's people with the character that I think would uh, 
I would approve of, and here are some that you don't dare ever consider. <laughs> and, I wasn't and then, on that list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then for all the others, there was a committee of good taste. Okay. And uh, and and so it was very clear. And then and then and then Barb came home the next night, and one of the most honorable things I've ever done is um, provide hospice care to Barb in our home. Yes. Until the end. And so we met with the kids. Yeah. And mom outlined uh, her uh, expectations for the children. And again, uh, she was uh, very, you know, she, she didn't want to die. Of course not. Uh, but, but she was very comfortable with the fact that her time was coming to an end, which is hard for us to fathom. And, and I always said, she would ask me often, you know, well, the, the treatments were, were horrible, right? You know, uh, chemo for pancreatic cancer was just horrible. And, and she would often say, Kurt, you know, do you, do you think I should be doing this? And, and I was always determined that I didn't want to tell her what she needed right. to do. I wanted her to make the decisions because I didn't want to have her feel like that she had to for us. It was her body and her life. Right. And I said, I said, Barb, I said, you have two options. I said, it's, it's, it's treatment or not doing treatment. And I said, either one of them lead to the same end result sometime in the future, right? Yeah. None of us know the time or the date or the place that we, that we leave Earth. I said, I said, you know, one's likely to be more accelerated than the other. I said, I said, what I do know is that whenever you're supposed to change what you're doing, you will have a comfort level that is beyond anything that I can even begin to imagine. And when Barb reached the, the point in her life where she was ready to, fit, to just end her treatments and to just go, she was comfortable. I mean, she, she, she had that peace. And so, and she shared that peace with our children and uh, they all knew exactly what mom expected for them. And, uh, and, and so in, in six short months, you know, we went from, you know, married, business partner, you know, full family to uh, you know, yeah. me being a single dad uh, with three kids. And, um, and, and I thought I had it all figured out. I'd, I'd, I'd you, got, you never do, right? No, People you know, what plan, a, what a God fool, laughs. Right? Yes. I, I was a fool. Uh, you know, I, we'd gotten things pretty well scheduled at the house. We were taking care of things. You know, meals were getting prepared. Chores were getting done. You know, while Barb was sick, you know, three months she was engaged. And then the last three months, really, we were doing everything. But I'd gotten things pretty good. You know, Rebecca was in college. We were making, getting through. And um, Barbara passed. And then it was two weeks to the day after she passed. I was helping Carl with homework at, at my office at home. And uh, he went upstairs to his bedroom. And, uh, and that was a time that I felt this profound loneliness that I never, ever experienced in my life. I've always enjoyed being by myself sometimes. Right. But uh, that's when I felt this deep, dark loneliness that never in my life I, I would have, uh, that have I experienced, nor did I ever anticipate, right? I just didn't anticipate it. And, and, and I think that's the... Uh, the separation in marriage that none of us knows until it happens um, when you lose a spouse. And, uh, and so that was the moment in time where I had to reconcile, okay, well, now I understand why Barb wanted me to move on. What does moving on look like? And, and that was the night that I reached out to, I had three, what I call cancer counselors, three close friends, all related to agriculture. And, and my now father-in-law was one of them, just you know, innocently. And, uh, and, I, and I called up and I said, you know, what does this look like? Uh, and that's when he said, well, you should talk to Mary. And, and that's when we first talked and, and, and you know, I, we kind of joked that we kind of never dated. Uh, I think, uh, you know, by the time I, I, I went, I mean, we were 
during COVID, 311 miles away, yeah. right? It's kind of hard to date. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I think that, you know, after a lot of conversations and a lot of time on the telephone, we, we realized that um, we were destined to be with one another. And, uh, you know, so somehow, you know, I, I landed uh, into a second marriage. And you're right. Um, as remarkable as Barbara was for the first 25 years, you know, Mary is the woman for now. Uh, because Mary's not threatened by the memory of Barbara, and we celebrate Barbara in our home. And uh, uh, you know, there's a it's it's crazy, but there's a picture of uh, my my marriage to Barbara, and right next to it is our of wedding course. picture. And uh, my my sister-in-law Colleen, who is Barbara's youngest sister, is here all the time, and she and Mary are are are, are I've more than friends. Are are our family and uh, my niece gets along with our youngest daughter, you know, that Mary brought to our family. So, you know, when you see how all these things have aligned, um, it's, it's much greater than human design. And, uh, you know, it would be easy for Mary and I to claim that we've got it all figured out and that we did everything right. And, you know, it's just because, you know, you know I often joke that Mary's a super genius with her master's degree from Boston College and whatnot. But we're not smart. You know, we... I think you, talk, you, you mentioned earlier when we were talking before we started about you hear that voice and you know that that God's speaking to you, yes. that absolutely happened to both of us at different times right. when it came to one another. Yes, I'd like to hear, if, 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 and, and if you don't feel uncomfortable no. saying it, uh, I know how, how Kurt was going through the loss of his wife, and then he spoke to you on the telephone. If you would share with the audience, this podcast is taking a complete different <laughs> a different path than, than, than its original intent, and that is wonderful. All right, that is wonderful. But so... Kurt revealed his emotions at that particular point. Would you feel comfortable revealing your emotions as you started to talk to Kurt and how you started to contemplate marrying him? I mean, that was a, a big, big, big jump. Yeah, I was terrified uh, for, for every reason that you can imagine. And I think my first thing was, okay, but you all are so vulnerable and like, let's just be really slow and calculated about this. And I think in my head, I was like, you know, all right, well, if we walk this journey together for a while, great, let's right. just do that. He's there, I'm here. And, um, you know, like you said, we're 311 miles apart. So I just really wasn't thinking kind of more than that. Um, and I will tell you that, that God spoke directly to me a number of times and said, nope, this is it. This is, this is what I sent and you better not walk away. So it was like, okay, I guess we're doing this thing. And then I said, okay, in a year, like yeah. next year. Right, right, which is a reasonable year, amount of time. Next year. And that voice sat in the passenger seat of my car and said, nope, July. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, the kids can't do this. My kid can't right, right. do I mean, it. Psychologically, just emotionally. This is nuts. We can't do this. And that voice sat in the passenger, I, the voice was in the passenger seat of my car and said, you're doing it in July. And, then, and, and then, I was like, okay, 
I guess we're getting married in July. And now, did, did, I'm, I'm, I'm being nosy, so please feel no obligation, both of you, to, to answer this whatsoever. So did Kurt, at that particular point, ask you to marry him? Or how did we, what was the segue? <laughs> well, we had been talking around and around. We knew we, knew phone, we were going to get married. Right. right. We knew we were going to get married. Um, but I was saying a year out. And right. uh, actually, he was at a farm auction with our production manager, um, and you were still in Vermont. I was still in Vermont, yeah. And when the voice talked to me, I texted him from my car and said, "How about a wedding in July?" And he was at a at an auction, and so he said, "Yeah, okay." Thinking I meant he next thought he was bait, thought he was bitten on something. Yeah, and and he was thinking next July, <laughs> right. a year and a half out, and um, I he didn't give me the reaction I was looking for, and I was like did you read that message? Yeah, and yeah. he was like, yeah, you know, July of what, 2020, whatever. Three. And, uh, or, and I said, no, this July. So you got married this past July? So 21. 21. July 21. We're married almost two years. And, yeah. yeah. You know, we were just smart enough to listen to God. I think, you know, we, we didn't figure this out. No. Right? And we're At still, all. and we're still kind of, um, getting it sorted out. But I can tell you that, um, because we were just smart enough to, or wise enough to not try to allow our intellect to dictate our actions and to allow our faith to control our actions, uh, that's, that's what has brought us success. And, you know, and it's remarkable. And I, I, I'm, I'm a director for Farm Credit East and, and I'm up for re-election this year. And I, and I, um, shared the story at uh, my interview with the nominating committee back in January. And one of the things that my pastor, who's been engaged in this whole process, you know, since Barbara passed away and then uh, married us, Pastor Elaine Mershimer, at the First Congregational Church of Chester, you know, one of the things that he's maintained from the very beginning is that this story is remarkable and that this story is a blessing from God and that uh, it deserves to be shared. And, and he has said, you know, you've got to share this story. You know, this is, is just remarkable. And but I think Kurt's whole farming journey is a blessing uh, it, from God and, and has been directed by a higher power too. Yes, so. uh, and, and yeah, every, everything, everything is if you have the eyes to see it. Yeah, and, and so, I, so I, I shared the story to the nominating committee. I felt that they really needed to know, right? How did I go from four years ago appearing before them married to Barbara and now I'm here I am married to Mary? they needed to know. So I, um, I, I, sh I shared the story very briefly. And of course, I got very choked up. Of course. And, um, and afterwards, several uh, farmer members of the nominating committee came up privately and said, you know, this is a story that has to be told. Uh, that, you know, you know, learning, you know, transitioning with through the loss of a business partner, a life partner, wife, mother, you know, every family farm, you know, is going to experience it at some point, right? A loss of a, of a significant family member. And sometimes the loss occurs at a time that isn't as easy as others. And, and being able to coach and mentor people through that type of loss and, and, and that type of impact and, and an abrupt crisis that occurs is really important. And, and so that just, so we just, everywhere we go, when we tell the story, people say, you know, this is really an important story. You know, you need to share it more. And, and so, you know, here we are today. I don't think that we sat down expecting to delve into every detail of this, but it just sort of happened. Well, that was the and, hand of God because I expected yeah. to talk about the farm. Well, but th th and, th this is this is this is better because they can always go to your website to learn about the farm. But but this is the farm, right? You know, we're, right, success it is the farm. we're successful today, 
right? We've successfully transitioned through the loss of my business partner, the mother of our children, the mother of the succession generation of this business, a coworker, a co-manager to all of our key people here. And, and we successfully navigated through this, this huge impact. Uh, you know, if in the banking world, uh, you know, when a, when a business suffers this type of loss, um, it, it can really result in the business falling apart. Of course. And, and so, uh, you know, so to be able to navigate through all this, and again, it was because of Barbara, and it was because of our just blind faith, I think, that led us through this. And but I think we also have to say that the people who work here full-time and are seasonal, I mean, Barbara and Kurt really created a family. That's and so, so all the people who work here, whether they're here with us all the time um, or whether they just come in and help for, right. uh, for a few months a year, um, have been wildly supportive. Yes. I think even in sometimes in situations that made them uncomfortable because they didn't know the conversations that right. Kurt and I were having. They didn't, weren't necessarily privy to the conversations yeah. that Kurt and Barbara had. And they were still wildly supportive. They all did their jobs while Kurt and the kids were grieving. Um, you know, they really stepped up. They really kept the thing together. So I think it, yes, blind faith for sure. Um, but I also think we have the most remarkable team. Um, I think they are, I mean, you couldn't ask for better. You no, couldn't I, ask for better. And it, it, it just was the, the whole package, the whole package put together put together by the Lord. And I hate to ask you this question, and please feel under no obligation to answer it whatsoever. But the way that the, the episode went, I, I feel that i um, compelled to ask you, right? Uh, did you get a lot of friction from the community, from friends, from neighbors, uh, from your church, from for, for both of you marrying so soon after Barbara's death? I think there was definitely some conversations that went on that we wish hadn't. Um, you know, I think I think when you we we were married with within six months of Kurt losing Barbara, um, I think there were a lot of people who made a lot of assumptions who didn't know us. Right. Um, as Kurt said, our minister, our pastor, and his family were amazing. Um, he was very vocal and very public about the fact that he was in support of what we were doing. Yeah. Um, so our church family really quickly got on board. Um, as I mentioned, our farm family, absolutely. It was such a soft landing for Sarah Lynn and I. Um, people were more than generous. Um, you know, I tried to tread really lightly. I, I, I get hard, it. Hard, I get hard, the situation that we're you. in. Yeah, so I tried not to jump in, and right. I tried to kind of walk in delicately and say, okay, right. where can I help? And um, I think one of one of my favorite things and one of the hardest things about Kurt is that he's terribly honest yeah. <laughs> and he likes, he likes to just honest talk. to a fault. That's yes, all I am. <laughs> just talk about things. Like, let's just talk about it yeah, and yeah, get yeah, it out yeah. in the open and... And so that's yeah. hard for me to do, but it really helps. Right. It really helps to just call it out very quickly. Um, I think it helps that my family was here. And so even though it was like, who's this woman from Vermont? Like, where from did all she places come from? Yeah. But then, you know, they'd see me at fire company things with one of my uncles right. and they would be like, wait a minute, how do you know David? And I'd be right. like, well, he's my mom's brother. Oh. oh, so I think it gave me some context and some credibility for people who were like, what, how on right. earth? Right. Did this happen? Um, 
You know, it's, what's been interesting is, you know, when you have this type of thing happen, you know, all of a sudden you join this club, right? And it's not a fun club no, to be a member of, a club, right? No. And, and you would never invite anybody and, to be no. in it. And, but it's interesting how similar the paths and stories are. And so I, uh, you may be familiar with, for instance, uh, Zippy Duvall. Yes, who, yes. So he Zippy, lost his wife recently. Yeah, and, and is now remarried. Okay. And uh, so he and I served on the American Farm Bureau Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee together. Um, many, many, many years ago, of course, even before I was married to Barbara. And uh, Zippy and I had occasion to chat and uh, and the stories were remarkably similar where, you know, uh, Bonnie, his wife, when she passed, you know, or was preparing to pass, you know, was very adamant about encouraging him to move on. And, uh, and, and he has a remarkable new wife, similar to married to me, who honors the past marriage, doesn't compete with the, the past marriage, but um, but su- supplements and builds on the past marriage, and it's just another whole new chapter of life. And another good friend, Gary Madison, uh, he works for the Farm Credit Council, and we were on Young Farm. He was on our Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee together with Zippy. He lost his wife Sabrina. He he farmed in New Hampshire first, and same thing. She um, she organized everything for him and and connected him with his next bride. And then there's a, a, a <laughs> invited wo- her to dinner. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> and then a woman, Terry Zittle, uh, she and her husband farm in Western New York. She's on the Farm Credit East board with me. She grew up in Maryland on a farm. Uh, her uh, mother died when she was in grammar school, and she was here visiting a year ago and said, you know, I just want you guys to know. I've, you know, I've, I've lived through your life and my mom helped organize, you know, my dad, uh, having dates before she even passed because she knew how important it was for him to move on. So, so these are not stories that are often shared out loud because, you know, there's this human standard that suggests that there needs to be this long mourning period. And one of the things that I asked pastor when I first realized, okay, you know, I'm supposed to do this. This is crazy, right? You know, the, what's the world going to think? And he said, well, Kurt, is your... Don't worry what the world thinks. Worry about what God thinks. And that's, that's what he right. said. He said, we're not here to please humans. And he gave me a couple pieces of scripture. He says, we're here to please God. He yeah. said, and what you're doing is God. So... Don't sweat it, you know. And and what we learned, it's a short news cycle, right? You know, in this oh, world yeah. of tweeting, <laughs> yeah. right? And so, you know, it oh, was yeah. it was interesting gossip for a month. You know, if I even that. <laughs> right? I can't believe they're getting married so quickly. Well, now it's been a couple of years. Right. And what's there to talk about? The kids right. are doing great. The business is doing great. Right. Uh, we're doing great. And... And the the mystery of Mary is over, right. and 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 she's a, a credible, genuine person, and people are looking at the way that we're running our lives, running our business, raising our children, and continuing to honor Barbara. And right. and so what we look at is you know our niece who works for us, Barbara's brother's daughter who's been with us for fifteen years, and she's at our house all the time celebrating joy with our family with Mary. And as I said, my sister-in-law, Colleen, my uh, Barbara's brother, Tony, who lives in Pilsen, Czech Republic, we visited there last summer. And, 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 and he was so relieved that we still wanted to include him in our right. family. And so those are the litmus tests that we look at be, you know, beyond God, you know, that, that, that signal to us that we're doing a really good job of transitioning. Well, I think I'm just going to, if I could be as bold to say, God is giving you those litmus tests. It's not beyond yes. God. He's putting those, you know, he's putting those those check marks 
For sure. Yeah. We yeah. wouldn't be here today, you know, had uh, we've often remarked, had, had we not taken the cues at the right times, I, I don't know that we could have happened. And, and I don't know that uh, you'd be here talking to me today as a single father, widower, uh, with three children, because I don't know that I could have held it all together to maintain a successful family, which in turn allows for a successful business. I told when, when things came down and I realized that I was going to be transitioning uh, with Mary, I, I met with our key managers and I said, look, I said, I need some time. I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm here to coach, but I need time to get my personal affairs in order. I said, if, if you value the leadership I bring to this farm, then you need to allow me to first get my family reset. I said, because for me to be the effective business owner and manager that you trust, I have to have a solid foundation at home first. And I said, and that has to be my priority. And as Mary said, they gave me the room. I was certainly engaged that year, but they gave me the room to get everything established and settled at home. And that's allowed us to, you know, really, I mean, our business has grown remarkably in the last 24 months since we've been married. But I and think there's also God in that too, right? The yes, cro yeah. crops came in like they were supposed to. Which in this particular <laughs> year, we lost our peach crop last year. Yeah, and we it lost was, well, meant, yeah. it was okay, yeah. right? Yeah, it's all. And, you know, I, I, I want to apologize to both of you because I feel, I felt uncomfortable asking that question, all right? But the... I sincerely believe that the Lord put it on my heart for his glory. And I think the, the I have a bad habit of saying I think when I'm, when I, I know that with confidence, but I use I think. And I know that the Lord wanted me to bring that to the table for this podcast because it really is what it's a message of, what your story is here to both of you. With Barbara involved and you now, Mary and Kurt, is that how it's so important for us to, and Kurt brought this up a couple of times using in a different context, it's so important for us to listen to the prompting of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And uh, my favorite scripture verses, which I think the good Lord penned for me, <laughs> is Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he will guide your path. And as an outsider, as a person who's only, as I said many times, ridden by this gorgeous farm, so many times knowing nothing about either one of you, even pronouncing your name wrong, incorrectly, is that I could see the Lord's hand in this, and I could see a lesson for anybody who listens to this podcast, is that you truly, truly have to have your heart in unison with our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we don't use a metric of what the world wants, of what we think we should do. We need to listen to him, right? I mean, if uh, Moses led the Israelites, right, who was going to think that, they, that the Lord was going to part the sea, right? They heard the chariots behind them coming, and who would think would part the sea? I mean, Mary giving birth to the Savior. Mary, right, giving birth to the Savior. I mean, the virgin birth. So I, 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 it's such a remarkable, wonderful story. Uh, it's not a wonderful story for those living through it like you, both of you, for your own challenges in a different way. But it's a Christian story. It's a story of faith. It's a story of trust. It's a story of counting stars in the sky when you see none. 
You know, Ray, the amazing thing is we, you know, now we can look back and we can see all the little pieces of alignment that have occurred in our lives, right? We, we started the broadcast talking about how I worked for her grandparents 40 years ago, right? And we met for the first time right. Christmas of 1980, 1980, right? And then 40 years later, we have ended up married, right? And so you think about, uh, you know, that, that call to farming that I had and then coming home and picking apples at her grandparents. And then the fact that her father, more than anybody, maintained a relationship with me, right? It, there was never a relationship with Mary. It was a no, relationship was with her dad. But the fact that um, uh, I knew all four of her grandparents through the fire company and being in Chester, and, and Mary and I, you know, I attended the, the funerals of all four of her grandparents, and we, we connected through those times. And, uh, you know, we we talked about that visit to Vermont with Carl. Well, it was Barbara who told me to take Carl away for a few days, that we needed to get away from the farm and away from the house just for Carl's well-being. And, and we talked about where can we go? And I said, well, maybe Vermont. She said, yeah, why don't you go to Vermont? Well, who had been inviting me to stop in? But my father-in-law, Mary's dad, Art, saying, you know, you got to come and visit me in Vermont. Uh, the decision to attend Mary's mom's funeral, right? That was a one-day back-and-forth visit. Right. Uh, now, you know, I, I had a relationship with her dad and her mom and with her family. Uh, it would have been easy for me just to have sent a card, but I knew that I needed to go to that funeral in person, right? And I went to that funeral well, in person. That's the prompting of the Holy uh, Ghost inside and of us. I would tell you that even losing my own mother, um, I don't think that it would have gone as smoothly between us if I didn't know what the kids were going through. True. Because right. my mom didn't stop being my mom just because she died. Right. And, and so I bring that with me. They have a mother. Yeah. They have a mother. She's in heaven. Yes. I'm here now, and I'm, I'll do what I can to support right. it. Um, but you're so, not looking to replace. Right. They and have a mom. They have a mom. And Mary would tell you there's no place else on the earth that she could have landed and called home except for Chester, New Jersey. Right. Yes. Because I spent you know. the first 30 Christmases of my life here. Yeah, yes. And, and so, you know, to... So the chances of her, you know, falling in love with this guy, you know, from, you know, 311 miles away. And what was interesting is, you know, during we were, a pandemic, right, during yeah. a pan but we were both credentialed. Right. So, you know, she knew I wasn't a crazy axe murderer because right. uh, her grandmother had a scrapbook of me. Yes. We came, we came <laughs> and, with references. And, right, and I knew her parents and knew all her relatives. And, you know, and so it's, you know, I don't know that we all the alignment, all the connections that led to us, you know, are remarkable, right? 40 years of all these little intricate design, right? Which can only be It's uh, the hand crafted, of God. It's, right. it's, it's, not, it's not happenstance. And, and, and so, you know, so all this ties back to the farm, right? And you're doing a podcast today about farming. You know, our no, farm- No, do a podcast about people with well, passion. And, and our farm is thriving, right? And, and I think that we have a passion, uh, you know, we made a decision to stay here in New Jersey a long time ago. And that, that was, again, Barbara and I, you know, we, we just debated whether we should ever leave. And we're like, no, nope, New Jersey, you know, we like it where we are. We talked about the beauty. You could parachute into our farm and you would think you're anywhere in New England. It's so gorgeous here. And uh, the, the relationship with the Menons that allowed this farm to be permanently preserved and then for us to buy this farm and expand it in ways that we never dreamed. And we just purchased another preserved farm uh, just down the highway 
a gorgeous piece of property. So to you know, keep another another 200 year old farming oh, legacy going. Oh, wow. Yeah, and how many acres are all together? Because every well, farmer's going to wonder. Well, <laughs> we farm 800 acres in total. We own wow. we own about 550 or so of it, and it's all preserved through the preservation program and um, in New Jersey and. Uh, everything is retailed, right? So what's remarkable about our business model is that uh, we are raising fruits and vegetables and some flowers, and every bit of it gets retailed directly to consumers. We have a year-round farm store here on the farm. We're opening up another year-round farm store, which is another legacy. You know, we, we, you know, we, we, we have all these connections with these legacy operations uh, in New Jersey and in Morris County especially. And uh, so there's a, a farm store, Lindekin, that we just picked up that was farmed by the Stanley family for many years. And it allows us to have another year-round farm store um, in Jefferson Township, New Jersey, about 15 miles from here. And it's an area where there's no local ag. And we're going to be opening April 1st, and we're doing this massive renovation. We're so excited to be there. Uh, we have a couple, and we do a lot of farmer's markets. We have a big community-supported agriculture and, of course, enormous amount of pick-your-own. Um, but this was the model that our our consultant from Farm Credit East, Steve Makovitz, laid out at, at, at the dining room table back in the end of '02 when we were broke. And he said, you know, he said, look, he said, I would, I don't have the temperament to to go to take on the additional risk that it would take financially for you to change your business. He said, but if you're will, if it's what you want to do and you're comfortable, I will help you do it. And of course, and we Barbara. shared we shared earlier that Barbara was the one that said, yeah, of course we need to do and this. And you know the Holy Spirit was talking right. to her. Right? Pedal, pedal to the metal, Barbara. Right. And, and so um, onward we went. And then Steve helped us, helped us craft this new model, getting out of grain, getting out of hay, getting out of wholesale vegetables and fruit, 100% retail, and, uh, and building a model around, you know, building a farm operation that supported 100% retail. And so that was 02 into 03. Five years later, you know, he, he laid the gauntlet down on me again and said, okay, Kurt, he said, you, your business is getting too big um, for you to still be turning wrenches. We, and, you know, you're a, you're a, a motorhead, right? And I grew up in the, and I grew up in yes, the Lean Alley over there. Right? Yes, Lean Alley. And so, steps. you know, of course, I loved, loved rebuilding everything. And he said, look, he said, you can't turn enough wrenches. You can't drive enough hours on a tractor to have an impact to grow this business to where it needs to go. If you're going to maintain it and be able to buy this farm, he said, you need to get off the tractor seat and you need to manage this business through others. And so I listened. And so in 07, I, I pulled out of active labor engagement right, right. And, and became a manager. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and so Steve is st still with Farm Credit. He manages the Flemington branch and has been a close friend for my entire life. And I was in his wedding. And, um, and you know, Steve's guidance through a lot of these challenges from a business perspective were, were critical. And uh, decisions to uh, uh, buy the farm in 14, you know, that was touch and go. And we got it done somehow and to purchase some other land and to be creative with some of the financing. Um, to make it all work uh, is, is nothing short of a miracle. And, uh, but we love being in New Jersey. We love being in the Northeast. Uh, the, you know, uh, Mary's connection to Vermont has really been a homecoming of sorts for me because that's where I incubated right. my farming career. And at the same time that we got married, Farm Credit East merged with Yankee Farm Credit. Yankee was the farm credit system of, of all Vermont. And so this merger occurred at the, as, 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 while I was on the board. And at the same time we were getting married, and what we've discovered is we have 
you know, there's all these other connections with Vermont. Um, uh, there's a, a woman who is up there uh, who's married to, into a giant dairy operation in uh, Richmond, Vermont, the Conant Farm. She worked for us when she was in high school wow. and then ended up in there. And the that's whole, another remarkable whole story. Web. There's a whole web and being... You should, do a, you should do a podcast with them because it's a remarkable story that involves Captain Phillips and the wow. hijacking in Somalia. Um, so, but, you know, we reconnected as farm colleagues now and she worked here mm -hmm. and incubated her love a little bit for agriculture working for us uh, on the farm and uh, and I just had uh, we were up in Vermont this past weekend and I had the opportunity to have uh, coffee with Joe Tisbert who's the Vermont Farm Bureau president and um, so all these remarkable connections and uh, that are just so much fun and so rewarding in Northeast agriculture and uh, we're so fortunate to be a part of it and we we love what we're doing we love incubating some careers out of here and offering careers for for talented people um, maintaining farmland you know the uh, you, you think about uh, how influential we've been in our operation in maintaining the character of this western portion of Morris County the amount of land that we've actively farmed the people who preserved because we were farming the land and we they had a reason to preserve right um, you know it's you know, there's so much we're, we're running out of time, I know. Yeah. And, and the families we feed, not yeah. just with food, but with the people who work for us right. and work with us. And right, and make, make jobs and also and, influence them. You know and, and, and the quality of life in New Jersey, right? The influence that we have on people's lives because they have a farm that they can touch and feel and visit and right. see, right? You know, we're open to the public and they can see it and experience, you know, experiential agriculture. Uh, you know, it, it makes the Garden State a, a great place to live. And, and, and that's why we're so happy to be farming here. You know, we've got the flexibility and the ability to grow a lot of different crops. And, you know, we, you know, we screw up plenty. Oh, sure. <laughs> so, I mean, hey, of course. We, we, I mean, <laughs> that, goes with, that goes without saying. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, we've got a good team and we're really focused on transition. You know, uh, you know I, uh, the, the 50s are a great decade, uh, but they end, right? And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm going on 59 this spring and the realization that, uh, you know, my career, I'm 40, this is my 40, 41st year, you know, farming on my own. And, uh, and I was talking to Joe Tisbert, you know, and his wife on Saturday. And I said, you know, it's funny. I said, you start your farming career and you think you have forever to build it. And then you get to this funny, curious spot where you realize, okay, well, um, I'm at a point where I can't build for just myself anymore. Uh, I need to be building for transition and, uh, and, for, and, and making sure that there's a successful transition and succession. And I think that's where we are now. We've right. got a lot of energy. There's a lot going on. But we don't fool ourselves. Uh, I told the children at uh, Christmas Eve dinner this year, well, prior to dinner, sitting in our family room, I said, uh, 10 years from now, I said, you know, uh, I will be retiring from everyday active engagement in the farm. You guys need to be ready. I said, that's the moment in time. I said, don't be fooled. I said, I'm not going to hang in here forever. I said, I'll do project management. I'll be a director. I'll fix oh, please. a please. And I'm going to have to drag him to Vermont yeah, yeah, kicking yeah, yeah, and yeah, screaming yeah, 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 yeah. so he'll leave them alone. Uh, but, but, but to prepare them for leadership, they need to know that there's opportunities for them. And, and they can't build, they can't become future leaders and business owners and farmers always in my shadow. And, no, and so my job and our job is to give them the opportunity to know that they're going to have the same opportunities I had and experience the same joys I have had in building a farm business. And they'll take it to levels that, that I can't even or we can't even fathom now. They have to, they'll have to find their own voice. But yeah, we all have only so many planting seasons, right? 
that we have and uh and as uh, as we get ready to close this i want to just and i mean this sincerely that this has been a, a wonderful wonderful time for me and i know that your the story of both of you kurt and mary the story of your lives and your walk and your faith with with the lord um is going to bless many people we won't know who it blesses and it's not our point to know who who, who it blesses we'll let the lord uh do that but i want to thank you so much for sharing that and i'm i'm really glad as funny as this may sound that we didn't go in a direction that i had hoped that i had planned and i hoped i had planned to it the lord took us in a different direction because this is of so much more value but i know you have a wonderful website so since we really didn't discuss all of the dynamic things that are happening here on your farm can you please just share the website with the audience so they could go there and they could see that part of you sure it's it's of course www.allsteadfarms plural.com just spell that for that's, them, please. that's a l s t e d e f a r m s dot com excellent and uh you know happy to take phone calls have to send an email you know we're, we we certainly want to mentor others uh as they travel through uh career path in agriculture or self-employment and uh you know, gosh, uh, Ray, we didn't even get to talk about John Deere tractors. No, but that's the, but we, we spoke. <laughs> we spoke about the essence of life, though. We spoke about the important things. That's the that's the that's the the guy talk, right? Yeah, well, um, maybe maybe you need to have another episode, and we yeah. can dig into all the yeah, all that, the successes and failures yeah. we've had with yeah. tractors. But you know, the the thing is that the purpose to and I'm I'm saying this humbly, the Lord put it, and I told Mary this before you came into the, this beautiful building uh, is that the purpose of this show it's a people show it's to inspire people to aspire to, to help people I know that I have a listener from uh, Iowa and uh, he went through almost the same story that, that you did but it's a different story because it's a different person I won't use his name and uh, he was ready to be married the love of his life and she got brain cancer and so he uh, is really struggling strong man of faith really struggling with that struggling with uh why it took so long for him and she was a little bit younger maybe seven or eight years younger from what i know than he was and or he is and uh it's a terrible it's a terrible walk but his faith has not wavered you know what i'm saying his he doesn't understand and until you've uh, had tears on the pages of your bible you will never understand and the tears are there often in life for many different reasons so i want to thank you so so much and i historically end these shows with uh my exit music which is a drags to going down the track and the track the starting but this is too powerful this is too holy for me to, to end it with that so i'm just going to thank you all for for sharing this with me the both of you i want to thank you for opening your home and your farm i'm going to urge the audience to please go to the the all all i have it written down phonetically because i always pronounced it wrong when i would ride by and allstead farm website check them out but more importantly listen to their message and may you find the same favor in the eyes of our savior as kurt and mary did so thank you so much for Amen. listening and uh, have a have a blessed day everyone just trusting in the lord so we're going to sign off unofficially now